Welcome to Tesseract Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be your host today. Tesseract's mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and accelerate change across the Air Force logistics enterprise. Specifically, our team works as an innovation accelerator assigned to the Air Staff Logistics Directorate, where we partner with airmen to operationalize the new sustainment strategy. Thank you so much for joining us today, taking the time in your busy schedule to uh, to talk about your experience uh, with the theory of constraints and at you know at the tactical level and and really getting after it. And before we get started, I'd like to thank you for the time and the effort and the focus that you've put into this culture change. And uh, I know it means a lot to the team. And I'm glad that we have it down. We have it codified on paper for people to reflect on in our case studies. So um, I'd like to plug that here first um, before we get going. But um, so nice to meet you. And so tell us a little, about, uh, a little bit about yourself and give us a little bit of background of like your experiences throughout the Air Force. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, a big fan of what you guys do and, uh, and how you guys are helping to change culture also. Um, a little bit about myself, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Perez, um, uh, graduated squadron commander from the 718 AMXS out at Kadena Air Base. Uh, I am... Um, uh, I've got about 15 years of time in service uh, on, uh, on active duty as an aircraft maintenance officer. Um, my background is, uh, my undergraduate degree is in history, so it has nothing to do with math and engineering. And <laughs> God bless every engineer and math major, because the more there are, that means the less math I have to do. So, um, <laughs> so uh I am uh, now the uh, chief, uh, the advanced concepts team uh, in uh, A4LM uh, up here at the Pentagon, and um, have a team of uh, of three other personnel that are all um, advancing uh, and modernizing and helping to provide policy and guidance and strategic alignment for um, tools, uh, equipment, uh, from physical to log IT to uh, to you name it. So, a little bit about me. Awesome. Awesome. So just got back from Kadena and I'm sure that was a cool experience. We're here. Uh, I'm actually co-hosting today uh, with uh, Chief Tim Jordan, and uh, he is probably Kadena's biggest fan. Uh, you spent, I think, I think Chief spent 13 years there. And um, yeah, he, he loves that place. Knows every nook and cranny of that island. Uh so uh, before we really get going here, let's let's set the stage with theory of constraints at Kadena, uh, and I'd like to to pass it over to to Tim here uh, to talk about like maybe those those early days and hear a little bit of dialogue between uh, you two on on how that that change re- like how that foundation evolved, and then we'll uh, get into the details of what happened at the 909th. Yeah, so when when we started our, our theory of constraints journey at Kadena, um, I think it was it was it started out of a we call it a book club, but a, a professional development uh, course that the maintenance group was doing, uh, where we all sat down and we read the book The Goal, and uh, after reading the book The Goal, we were going to discuss the book as a, as a group, um, but what we were looking at in the F fifteen side of the house was um, how do we actually take the lessons that we're learning from this book. And from theory of constraints uh, as a whole, because we, some of us had gotten some education already from from Amos, of where we could actually utilize and imp- implement the theory of constraints uh, to our uh, flight line operations. 
So we, uh, and when I say we, it's a major, but captain at the time, Alex Pagano uh, and myself, uh, were really thinking about how do we implement these theory constraints methods and, and actually um, apply them to, to daily operations, specifically for the F-15s at Kadena. And we developed a plan of implementation, of training, of buy-in, and of execution of, of how we go. And we essentially stole the, the homework that Shaw Air Force Base was working on uh, with their Theory of Constraints um, initiative over there. And uh, we went and talked to our group commander, uh, Colonel Bill Ray, and uh, convinced him that you know instead of just talking about the book, The Goal, we wanted to actually change our, our culture and our, the way we do business over there, uh, utilizing Theory of Constraints. Uh, we did that. He approved, and we went ahead and uh, and we started to uh, to change the uh, way we did business. So uh, we started education. That was the first step, uh, teaching people what theory of constraints was, the small changes that we were going to do to our current operations. They weren't like drastic changes. They were just uh, procedural changes, a little process change. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that we created rules that we didn't break. So the the problem is uh, the flight line is a very dynamic uh, environment. We always are looking at, um, you know, the closest alligator to the boat or the the nearest fire that we're putting out, uh, and we really never had the opportunity to to think the strategy of of how we can do things differently. And theory constraints gave us that uh, that new strategy. So we were able to really focus on um, process changes and and focusing and finishing on what's important as opposed to trying to multitask and accomplish everything at once. And that was really the the biggest takeaway that we did. Um, and from there, uh, we took that education. Uh, I left, I came to Tesseract at the time, uh, but Major Pagano uh, continued to stay there and we wanted to export some of that knowledge. And that's when it, uh, uh, we went over to the, to the north side, the strong side, right? Yeah. And, uh, and we, we helped uh, implement theory constraints on that end. Yeah, the story uh, picks up um, right after uh, the 18AM excesses um, uh, initial, uh, what was it called? What'd you call it? What do you guys call it? The like proof of concept. concept. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the story picks up um, with the 718MXS uh, after the 18MXS's initial proof of concept and um, during a surge and then uh, their their ability to implement it in, on the flight line. And uh, the 718th uh, was followed right behind. So the group commander said, hey, we got to do this. And we, we really got to – we really have to um, – find a way to to adopt this across the entire maintenance group but we did uh and so he he created buy-in uh amongst the squadron commanders squadron commanders went we were charged with really creating buy-in from the senior ncos and the officers from the squadrons and uh and launch into this and so we did um we took the the experience we took the training we took the knowledge uh that was that was that was baked out of the 18 amxs and they came over and and, and transplanted a lot of that uh, that thinking and that methodology and into what was then a um, a three day slingshot. It was before Tesseract had jumped into the three day slingshot. Alex Pagano said, "Hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to call it slingshot," and we did. And over three days, we spent uh, time educating uh, the the team, the key leaders uh, across the squadron. Uh, we spent time building a plan to how we were going to go implement it. And then um, by day three, we were outlining, okay, what are we doing? Because what are we, what are we doing on the very first day? Because we're going live. We're going live like now. Um, and, uh, and so we did. So then um, we jumped into it. And around 
the summertime is when uh, uh, the air staff solidified uh, gold rack coming over to Kadena Air Base. And um, there were, the, I think the original project was uh, at least the 18th MXG's goal and the wings goal was, hey, let's go after F-15, let's go do it. And uh, much to a lot of our surprise, Golrad took a look at all a lot of our our metrics and a lot of our data, and said, "Hey, we think we we you really have something that we could go after with KC 135s." And so um, they they teed that up for us, and 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 then we launched into it. Um, a couple months uh, of of Goldrat's support and training um, on understanding the basics of theory constraints, and then. Um, looking at all of our, our, our data and looking, trying to map out how we operated on the flight line, our vicious cycle, uh, exposing that and illuminating that to everybody was really the burning platform for, for us to go and say, okay, now we're gonna go do it. Like we've identified all these, all these actions, all these um, um, solutions, let's go implement them and let's start to solidify them. Um, but, Golrat doesn't stay forever. Uh, Golrat doesn't stick around for a long time. And beyond that, it's it's up to you. There's no cavalry coming to save you. There's nobody that's going to show up and say like, "Hey, like I got it." It's like, what? So you got to keep up. You got to you got to keep advancing the culture. You got to keep um, got to keep rethinking about your problem over and over and over. And uh, that willingness to to say, "Okay, let's reexamine." Let's not just stay stagnant um, is is what I believe is at the heart of innovation. And so if somebody asked me today, what's your definition for innovation? I say it's the antonym of stagnation. We cannot take the solutions from past and keep applying them over and over. We cannot stop evolving. We must continually reassess. Mm -hmm. You're a history major, right? Yeah. <laughs> what's your favorite part of history? Um. What time period? Oh, uh, so I'm a I'm a, a history. Uh, I probably I, I World War Two Vietnam uh, era history um, in uh, of American history really. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you can go back to ancient times and find the KC one thirty five in in the history books, right? <laughs> so spe speaking of a, an airframe that has gone through a lot of change, yeah. right, and 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 is. And like my dad, threw, uh, my dad flew uh, A models uh, back in the day. So I'm, you know, I'm passionate about about that airframe, you know. But it's been around for decades, right? Uh, and and it and it hasn't been around for decades just because it survived. It's been around for decades because it's such an important airframe to the mission, uh, and um, it, and especially in Indo Pacom, right, where there's a lot of blue on the maps, uh, and and F-15s, F-22s, and 35s require you know, require that sustainment. Um, when we look at the specific constraints, though, what, like you, you said, you identified the problem. Um, what, what was the, what were the constraints? And, and I do want to dig into a little bit uh, later, you know, like, and I want to get into the details of the buy-in process, right? Because that's, that's huge. Change management is incredibly difficult. Uh, and it's, you know, especially as, you know, you leading from, from the tip of the spear there. Um, but what were those specific constraints that you came across um, with uh, the KC-135s? Um, you know, there's never enough. There are never enough people. There's never enough money. There's never enough parts. Um, and so some of the constraints illuminated themselves in different in some of those different areas. 
Um, the one we focused on uh, early on before Goldrat arrived was uh, acknowledging that we weren't going to be able to just create seven levels. Uh, they weren't just going to show up on our doorstep. And um, when we went back and we looked at our manpower uh, across the across the AMUs, across, across each different shift, um, specific seven levels, and, and that was where the real challenge was, seven levels in avionics, seven levels in E&E, &E, um, to complete those tasks, complete those critical tasks, those, those, those sign off those red X's, complete those that work. Um, there just wasn't enough of them. And so we knew that that was going to be a constraint and not a constraint in a bad way, but we knew that that needed to be our drumbeat. We can never go as fast as this many seven levels on this shift. So we need to align what we are doing so that these two are the most important and most resourced uh, AFSCs or those two people on those shift or those three people on those shift. So manpower was a real focus early on. Um, some of the other constraints uh, was uh, was equipment, and we just knew that there wasn't enough to go around, and so we had to we we made a deliberate plan to try to find a way to say okay, when this this equipment must always be available, we got to make sure that it is available when it's needed, uh, so that we are not all fighting for the same resources, um, and so the implementation of of TOC and and uh, limiting our whip, how many things we were working at once helped prioritize that as well um so th those were the the original constraints that we had identified uh, uh rack came out and helped us identify um the, that even more clearly and it also helped us in our solution design how we how we went about solving those problems wasn't there a focus on um because the kc-135 is is such a needed asset out there in the pacific and because there's always higher headquarter taskings that came down in addition to the uh, local training lines and plus the uh, the joint partners that we have out in, in the Pacific, uh, wasn't there a, um, a focus on uh, making the 135 more available uh, daily uh, to meet other mission requirements? Yeah, there, uh, good point, uh, Chief. There was... Um... As Goldrat went out and and did their data mining and they looked at all their all their all of our numbers, they conducted interviews as well. And one of the things that uh, almost everybody seemed to highlight is, "Hey, everybody wants a tanker." That's true. And if you ask a, 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 a KC-135 or a tanker crew member across any one of the tankers, they'll they'll tell you everybody wants. Like we got a lot of customers, and. Um, Kadena is no different. Uh, there are 27 different receivers across all the joint partners, the the the, the partner nations, um, whether aircraft are transiting in and out. And the idea was, um, if so many people want that KC-135, then the KC-135 itself, or, or the ability to to push more gas through the air, then is a constraint. Well, let's focus on that, and let's if we can maximize that, then we're going to hit a lot more receivers. We're going to hit a lot more. We're going to get a lot more flying. We're going to get a lot more accomplished, whether it's mission or training, uh, or you name it. And so that's where the 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 idea came from to to focus on the KC one thirty fives. Good stuff. As you know, we can get into the to the nitty gritty of of the tools and techniques that that Gold Rat presented and 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 showcased, right? 
uh, but we can provide those tools elsewhere, you know, like, and in other mediums. I want to hear specifically, like, what worked for you as a commander when it when it came to those initial steps of, of buy-in, and even past those, you know, in, initial steps, right? Because I mean, it, it, I guess we can. The definition of quote initial steps could be, hey, when Goldrat was first on the ground, or the next evolution of when they left, right? And you have turnover, and you have new staff members, a new new NCOs, new CGOs that you need to train. And, you know, people PCS in, people PCS out. What has been a critical tool for you for buy-in to help sustain and grow this effort? So the uh, the critical tool for buy-in is uh, has definitely been to create a, a, a need, a desire, a strong desire and whoever I talked to, to change. Mm-hmm. They had to, it had to be burning inside to go, hey, I believe it. Like, uh, we got to do something different. Let's change. Um, and change was the single most challenging thing to accomplish as a, as, as a leader, as the squadron commander. It was the, the need to create constant buy-in. Um, well, not to interrupt you, but you know, when we look at something like accelerate, change, or lose, like we got, we got the four star saying, "Hey, we need to push change, or we will lose in conflict." And I would argue some people are not changing, right? Mm-hmm. But people were changing in your organization, so you're doing something right. Um, I hope so. <laughs> uh, it certainly felt that way. Um, you know, the chief, uh, the. The chief's charge to accelerate change or lose um, is, is is powerful. Um, sometimes at the ground level, there's it 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 sometimes doesn't carry the same the same weight it might um, because as a, as a brand new airman or uh, you know as a, even as a second term um, uh, NCO third term NCO like sometimes it on the ground level in aircraft maintenance like. Hey man, my life is day to day out here on the flight line. I'm I'm not executing strategy. I'm not working those things. And so, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? And uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the change was born from the idea that we couldn't hit an easy button. Like we couldn't we couldn't just say like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna have more people show up today, or I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give airmen more money. And I I. I told that at every I, I use that platform at every opportunity is um for years and years and years and i was guilty of it as well as a as a cgo uh and and uh at, as as a as a junior officer that sometimes like the easy button is hey i didn't think about this problem as a leader and so i'm gonna hit the easy button you know what that easy button is it's airman's time and uh if we wanted to give airmen their time i can't pay him any more money I, I can't uh, I, I can't sign a bonus check at the end of the year to go, hey, here you go at the squadron command level. Um, I can't do that. So if I want to deliver change, then I'll tell you what, like, we're going to deliver change by using a methodology, by using a different way of thinking, of solving our problem. I'm going to give you a tool. We're going to use this tool to solve our problem instead of just saying, hey, we're just going to go figure it out on our own. And when it doesn't work, uh, we're all on 12s. And you can ask any airman from any AFSC and from enlisted to officer, like, oh, you're in aircraft maintenance? Like, oh my God, would, you're on 12s all the time. And you're in, and while that might be true for some experiences, um, 
we got to break away from that. And we have to, we have to change. We have to think differently than our pressure. We have to, to, to those listening, you got to think differently than I did as well uh, and continue to, to move the needle. Yeah. So when, when I was trying to push uh, uh, the mindset change of, of implementing theory constraints, a lot of people don't want to fail, right? So our, our career field, our culture is a no fail culture, right? If we fail, aircraft don't get off the ground and uh, the air superiority is lost. The, the reach that we have, global reach is lost. We, we don't have the ability to do our job and we don't have the ability to protect our forces, right? So it's a no fail mission. When you change, you have an opportunity to fail because you're trying something different. So I think the biggest piece that I saw uh, bridge that gap was senior leader buy-in. When we had a group commander that said, we're going to try something different, and if it goes poorly, we're going to learn from it, and we're going to adjust fire, and we're going to continue to iterate, and we're going to work on on making this new change stick because we have to find out what works for this, this organization at this moment uh, with this people that we have assigned to us uh, for this location. So I think um, identifying that people can try something different and not have their career affected, not have their job jeopardized, uh, have that that leadership safety net, if you will, uh, was super important into taking the leap of faith and trying something different at that organization. Um, it was really helpful to get the culture bought into it because once you have those those senior leaders, the decision makers, understanding that their job is not in jeopardy and their career path or trajectory isn't going to be a, a changed by by new decisions uh, that is different from whatever they've done growing up, uh, they found that the the buy-in was increased at that time. So, you know, I, I really think aircraft maintenance is a, is a culture um, that prides itself on the hard work that we do. I, I you know, I was that person uh, my entire career. It was, you know, if I stay later than you, that means I'm better than you. If I uh, can get this fixed faster than you, that means I'm better than you. It's a, It's one of those, like, competitive edges that you wanted to have you know if if i had to suffer all day on the line for 12 hours in the elements you know that was a, a badge of honor i could wear um why my boots were dirtier than than somebody that came from an office right so that looking back at it is why did why did we work so hard when we could have done it smarter <laughs> and, and gotten the same result right so uh now that i look back over my career i've been in you know 23 years now I look back and I say, hey, if I am, if, if, if aircraft maintenance is still operating the same way when I first came in in, in the 90s, uh, not to date myself, uh, when, when, we, when we look back at that, if we're still doing the same type of maintenance now, why? why? Like, what, why haven't we learned something better? Why haven't we got smarter in the last two decades that we're still doing the same thing, you know? And, and I don't see, I don't see those, those methods uh, still being being done i see lots of change and lots of innovation out there uh which is the right direction you know so uh sometimes you you see the old crusties on the internet talking about back in my day and and in those days uh we're working well for them but at the same time uh we're not in that place anymore we're in a different air force we're in a, a much leaner air force where we need to be smart and effective with with our efforts so you know i think really uh theory of constraints allows us to um get after that mission uh with with a more of a streamlined uh focused effort and and it really al aligns everybody to work uh you know even in the back shops it allows everybody to to fight for the same 
uh, mission to really focus on what's important and and really get the mission accomplished uh, without really inner infighting that we used to have back in the day yeah the you said something that rest that like made me like brought me back in the early days of when we were jumping into this and uh i remember the group commander saying like joe like we got to build a common language i need to build a common language for how we are going to implement our at uh, this methodology i'm trying to create something when when we say a certain term or use a concept or we talk about it everyone understands across the board and uh and it was he was he was he was working to get us all on the same page where, where, where it didn't matter if you went from one airframe to the other or you went from one back shop, you know, to, to the Munns uh, area to whatever. I, we all understood the same, uh, the same ideas, the same approach. We could all speak the same language. And when we're sharing resources, when we got to borrow things, if we say like, hey, this is. I'm frozen for X, Y, or Z, or I'm, I, you know, this is my priority, or here's my whip, or here's my cue. We all understood exactly what we were talking about, and it built a common language, um, which, which is not always, uh, not always the same when you go from from maintenance group to maintenance group, or, or you know, production team to production team. Good stuff. Tim mentioned failures specifically, and General Hurry has stated also in another one of our podcasts, right? Fail fast and not necessarily like, you know, fail forward, right? I think that's kind of an overused cliche, but but fail fast. Make sure you learn from those mistakes, grow from those mistakes and iterate, right? Because we're we're at a point, in, we're, we're in an inflection point right now, you know, reflecting back on accelerate, change or lose, uh, looking at the new logistic strategy of persistent mission generation, that we have we have to learn uh, as an organization, and we cannot learn without failing. Uh, where has Kadena, uh, and in your experience, failed along the way, and how have you learned from those experiences? You know, moving forward, and how how has that made you a better a better leader, and how has that made your your airmen much more effective and lethal uh, moving into the you know into the future. Oh, we definitely failed uh, in different areas and implementation sometimes. And uh, it's important to characterize failure because I think it's it can be a very frightening term. It can be it, it and it and failure, I think, is sometimes seen as a threat like to my success. And Chief, you talked about like, hey, I, I wanted to be the best I wanted. And when when you want to be the best or when you are trying to show that you are dependable, you don't fail. And so that's a threat. Um, but we did, we, we struggled in, in that implementation. We can look back now and go like, well, turns out we, we didn't fail. Like we, we struggled, but no, it, let's embrace it. it. It was a failure sometimes then in how we executed the day in how we executed the week and how we executed the month. Um, and some of the failures in implementing theory constraints and this, our, our methodology, uh, was consistency, consistency across the shifts. Um, it's it's so hard. It is so hard. And it is not because there are people with malice in their heart that are like, what? No, I'm not doing that. Or like, I'm, I'm, I'm not following orders or I'm not following this new process. But it's because of that, well, I don't really know this stuff. 
and I'm going to do it the way I know how. Or sometimes it's, uh, you know, maybe awareness uh, or, or lack of collaboration with the other team or the other shift or another shop or for, for different reasons like that. But um, it's hard to implement change and, and, and do it consistently, consistently across three shifts. And so you've got on day shift, let's just take the key leverage point. In a, in a production team, at least on the flight line, it is that production office. If there's somebody who's gonna make it successful, it's going to be that production office. Every day they're making those decisions that that are rooted in your rule set of, of, of what you're gonna go implement, how many airplanes you're gonna work, um, what airplanes you're gonna work in priority, what you're gonna freeze and unfreeze. Um, who you're going to, uh, you know, what, 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 and and who you're going to go put in work when it's time to go put that, put that aircraft or that team in work, and um, and so let's just take that production team. But on day shift, you got a lead pro super. You usually have a pro super running the line. You've got one, two, three, four, depending on how big your line is, how many expediters. Each one of them making decisions along their uh, their portfolio to, that all affect each one of those rule sets that you have in place. And uh, after you've come up with, what, hey, hey, here's how we're gonna do it, here's our methodology. So that's, uh, I don't know, anywhere from as low as three to maybe as high as five, six, seven. Now you've got night shift, you've got swings, then you've got mids. And so qu very quickly that grows uh, times three. And now that's uh, 15 people, let's say, uh, across three shifts that you've got to synchronize. They've all got to be reading from the same playbook. They've all got to be reading and or, or understanding the, the concepts and the rules that you've put in place to say, hey, here's how we're going to do it. When when this happens, you know, here's how we're going to go about, go about and, and do it. Or, hey, maybe I need to break a rule, and it's uh, but here's why I'm going to go break that rule because uh, because of X, Y, Z. So that synchronization is, is super hard. So 15 people across three shifts. Um, and that's just that initial implementation. Well, it's Kadena Air Base, and uh, some people are out there for two, three years, uh, and then it's time to PCS. Now you've got a PCS cycle coming in, uh, and you have an entirely brand new set of people who have maybe uh, who weren't there for the initial uh, educational jump and the uh, and the implementation of the of the uh, solutions, and so you've got a whole level of indoctrination is the word i choose indoctrination into what into the methodology that the that the amu or the production team is 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 uh, using to to execute uh production um then you fast forward that another six months and you have uh some of the ogs perhaps that were there from the get-go uh tim jordan's gone and well i gotta it's somebody else that's got i've got to indoctrinate um now fast forward that times uh times another two, three, four years. And the challenge to sustain that becomes very difficult if we don't start at a ground level and we don't start at a, at a foundational level. In those places that we've talked about um, uh, in, in changing culture, AMOC, MOIC, senior NCO production courses, um, introduction at uh, different levels of management, uh, whether it's in aircraft maintenance or supply or uh, it, you name any functional area, it's all a process. Um, so, yeah, consistency and application. And I've been a firm believer that it starts in in education uh, and 
my approach was indoctrination. We got to indoctrinate. As soon as somebody gets here, we got we to gotta indoctrinate them. Yeah, so you, you mentioned a, a, a real good point. When, when, when people are doing uh, their job, uh, and especially if they're in a decision-making position, if they're a lead super, a super, an expediter, uh, they've been in for a while and they've been successful, right? They've got promoted. They've they've gotten an opportunity to work in the production section where where most of the decisions are made for the success of the of a unit or a squadron, and 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 these folks have have come up their entire careers doing aircraft maintenance a specific way, and what theory of constraints says is, hey, a lot of the times when you're doing your work, you're you're multitasking people, you're spreading your resources thing because you're trying to maximize the most out of out of your workforce and, and theory of constraints is like, hey, you know, may, might, maybe you don't do that. Maybe you, you throttle back, you do a little bit less at the same time, but you utilize uh, all your personnel to increase the throughput of that work so you get it done faster. And and sometimes we do that in aircraft maintenance. Sometimes we we apply the theory of constraints without even knowing the terminology behind it or the, or the buzzwords that we utilize for TOC. Um, but at the same time, it's not natural to a lot of maintainers to to think in that process. So when when circumstances change, or when um, more aircraft are broke, or you're you have a flying window that's about to open, and, and you don't have all your flyers ready to go, uh, a lot of people fall back into old habits because they've been successful with those old habits in the past, and a lot of that undermines uh, what we're trying to do now with the new theory of constraints methods. Uh, so I, I see that exactly what you're talking about, uh, where uh, one shift will be operating uh, full on with with TOC methods, and then another shift will will backslide and go back into old habits, um, you know. And, and and I don't really want to call those uh, failures. Uh, definitely teachable moments. Uh, you want to learn from that, and you want to make sure that the education uh, permeates on all shifts. There is a a huge factor uh, that you mentioned, which is the sustainment. And, and I think that's the biggest place where failure creeps into an organization. Um, it's it's excellent to get a bunch of upfront education with your core team of, of, of decision makers and influencers and, and the, the people that are, are key to your organization's success. Uh, but once those people start moving out and new people come in, uh, if they aren't indoctrinated when they first arrive, they will instantly slide back into what worked for them at a previous location. And if that previous location has not been um, introduced to theory of constraints yet, uh, then then they're not going to be able to understand why we're doing things a certain way. And they're going to say, oh, well, you know, for this instance, Kadena does things a weird way. I'm going to go back and do it, you know, from base X. And that's going to go against it. So you're always fighting that attrition battle of, of new personnel joining your workforce. Um, but I think uh, when when, when you really get serious about sustainment, if you change your local policies, your local rules, your local uh, vernacular, if you will, if everybody's speaking the same language, um, it really helps indoctrinate people uh, a little bit quicker um, because you need to be mindful that they're entering a, a new methodology and a new way of doing business and focusing on aircraft maintenance. So, you know, uh, that's, that's the realest and hardest uh, thing to get over, which is sustainment of theory of constraints once an organization makes that change. Which leads perfectly into my next segment here. Um, so you are clearly not in Japan right now. You are here working at the Pentagon. 
well, we're technically at Andrews today. Uh, <laughs> but, and, and yes, you talked about those nuances of what it takes to, to set your team up for success as people come in and out. But what makes you confident that now that you're gone, that theory of constraints will continue to survive? Um, what makes me confident uh, that it will continue to survive? Um, certainly the, uh, the, the awareness. Um, I think what, what, what makes me confident is that you guys, uh, number one, you guys have given it a, a, a fantastic uh, platform to share the successes where people have implemented it. And so you you guys are doing that on a consistent on a constant basis, consistently very well. The, the case studies that that are coming out here in the in the very near future give the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty about hey, what did it look like and what were the specific solutions that came out and what data went into it and what were what were the new measurements that people were going after. Those are those are 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 all laying a foundation to say like hey man, that's this is something perhaps new. Uh, to the Air Force, it's not new. Uh, it's certainly been around for quite some time, um, but it it widens the 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 landing zone to go like, hey, like this can be done in more than just one venue or this one place where lightning struck, uh, and they had somebody who, you, you know, jumped in and like did everything they could to learn about this this theory constraints thing and. Uh, and they, lightning struck is they had somebody who was supporting them and said, go do it. And, uh, and, and it miraculously happened like, no, that that's, that's not the case that you guys are, are, are changing that narrative to, um, I'm also confident that, uh, that it'll continue on this path is, um, from a vantage point, the level of support that it has from, uh, from the A4 enterprise, um, across, uh, across the match comms. Uh, their their support to advance this culture, to to give aircraft maintenance units, squadrons, um, production sections a a tool set to give them help them build a production strategy that's grounded in process methodology. That's what it is. It, it is it is something tangible to say here's if, how you can build what you're going to go do whether you are you you are are training airmen to you are pumping out engines uh in in a in a back shop or you are launching sorties on a flight line or you are processing people through an idrc or you are working to you know, to advance air crew or pilot production there's a way to do it. It's a it's a lens and a platform to use and apply to what your specific problem set is, to what your what your what your process dictates, and and, and you get to shape how you're going to go do that. So uh, I am confident it's going to continue on, um, and um, the, uh, the 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 A four's basing and logistics enterprise strategy. Um, is 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 riddled with it across uh, all of the objectives, um, and that are that are nested with the uh, with the SecAF SOIs and the NDS, uh, um, and so we're going to keep pursuing. We're going to keep uh, progressing and and laying this foundation, given given our airmen this tool set. 
also want to I want to throw some credit to you know to Derek Brook and and the work that he's continuing to do there uh, as a as a Tesseract LNO um, and the the culture that uh, we continue to, uh, to to inculcate as you know it's a team effort you know as an Air Force right it, you know. Yes, there's a lot that we're doing over here, you know, at Tesseract from an education perspective, from an implementation and generation perspective, um, but it's not possible without the the frontline leaders, you know, like you uh, and our LNOs out in the field that are continuing to champion, champion um, you know, this this tried and true, you know, methodology. Um, so, so thank you, you know, thank you for continuing and, and sustaining that. Um, another piece I'd like to to mention is, you know, we, we talked about Chief's experience, you know, years ago, and then now we're talking about yours from, you know, just recently in, in your experience as the TOC. Same base, years of growth and failure and now sustainment, right? And, uh, and I think that's um, just holistically a powerful case study with um, how, how this thought process and methodology has evolved over time, how it's permeated across organizations, and how it's continued to prove successful despite the um, the setbacks, which are inevitable in any organization with any operation, um, and, and and continuing to push through it. And one more thing, I'd also like to clarify is you went into <laughs> you went into Kadena's lieutenant colonel, right? Uh, I started as a major. You started yeah, as a major. Yeah, I took command left- as, uh, as a major and left a lieutenant colonel. Okay, so. Yeah. It's okay if you fail. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you you can come you can come out on top. You know, implementing TOC. Hey, uh, we we acknowledge <laughs> it every day uh, when we did, and to the chief's point, we learn from it. We how do we get better? And, uh, and here I am. Yeah, good stuff. Now, you know, we we've already mentioned. Hey, you're now at A4LM, and uh, you are leading the advanced concepts team. How does your experience with theory of constraints, how, how has that molded your, your strategic perspective moving into your new role? And how do you see this correlate? How do you see, how do you see this? Uh, how do you see theory of constraints and your work at advanced concepts? Like, um, I guess I just lost my, my sentence structure here. How does it work together? Um, words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so the advanced concepts team, uh, is really focused on, uh, modernization. Um, how do we take our, our flight lineup today and and change the way we're operating And the team is, is doing a lot to, um, provide guidance, uh, strategic alignment and how we're adopting, uh, tools, equipment, uh, and, to an extent, processes. So you guys are certainly carrying uh, the torch and the flag for um, for for theory constraints. Um, but the uh, A4LM team and the advanced concepts team is uh, is there to to be right alongside you, uh, and we are there to to help push that as a as an and support it uh, in terms of modernizing. Um, giving us a platform for uh, a, a, a foundational platform for, for production methodology. And, and it's essential. It's essential to, to, to move beyond the pickup game 
uh, to move beyond the ad hoc uh, coming up with, well, I did back of the napkin math, which is sometimes okay, but we got to be better at it. And we got to equip our, our leaders. We got to equip the senior NCOs and the NCOs and, and start them early who are the, the folks that are making the decisions every single day that are that are that are the ones that are producing these aircraft that are producing uh our our equipment in in the lrs's and uh civil engineering shops and we got to arm them the right way uh to do it um and and despite everything i might have done uh, at cadena air base it wasn't me um it was the senior ncos that and the ncos trust in the senior ncos to say, well, you're gonna, we're going to go do something different. Are you sure? And they went, yeah, we're going to do it. And the Derek Brooks uh, of, 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 the, of the world and um, the chief mass sergeants, uh, Tim Jordans uh, at the time, the senior, and those guys, their courageousness to go, yeah, let's go do it. And trust me, follow me, we're going to do this. And it may not be perfect. It may not be right out of the gate just a hundred percent and shine like a diamond uh but we're gonna go do it and so those are the guys who really did it yeah so i i really think that we you know you keyed in on it when you talked about airman's time there there was a you know you know we're a big proponent of the airman for life initiative to to really give time back to airmen to focus on their families focus on their their well-being and um in all aspects of their giving them time back, you know? So I think what theory of constraints does is it addresses uh, the process to uh, give flexibility to uh, squadron commanders to really get after the mission and take care of their people uh, in a different way. So, you know, you have um, units that are struggling to, to meet their mission. TOC can help them focus on what's really important to, you know, what's their biggest constraint, how to maximize the throughput through that constraint and be able to achieve their, their mission with the resources that they have available to include personnel and experience. Um, and if an organization's doing well, they can also utilize theory constraints to really get after uh, the quality of life for their airmen. So McDilla, or not McDill, um, Mildenhall, uh, really focused on uh, utilizing theory of constraints to increase time for Airmen for Life initiatives for their for their airmen and, and providing that um, additional uh, time back uh, on a monthly basis so their airmen can really focus on you know being there for their children uh being home when they needed to it uh focus on educational opportunities and and really trying to increase retention amongst our airmen and maybe decrease suicides as well which which kind of riddles the uh the maintenance community so uh utilizing theory of constraints uh to get after you know mission accomplishments one thing but to get really get after the quality of life of your airmen is definitely another thing and and i think both of those complement each other well uh you know to your point and i really believe that uh if you know the a4 is really pushing this from the top down like this is the way that that the air force that maintenance and logistics are going to go into a theory constraints way you know you can either be an early adopter to it or you know you'll eventually pcs to a location that's already doing it but this is the way that we are going to uh make the most use of our limited resources you know that we don't have the huge inflated budgets that we used to have back in the day as well so uh, how can we make the most uh mission accomplishment for the dollars that we have available and how do we continue to grow our force to improve uh readiness so 
you know, you mentioned earlier uh, that seven level upgrade training was a was a problem with the seven eighteenth. Really focusing on on training. If you're if you have less aircraft that you're working uh, concurrently, you can now have the same amount of resources, the same amount of bodies. Uh, doubled down on those fewer aircraft. So now you have the ability where seven levels can be over the shoulder of a five level, who's over the shoulder of a three level, increasing the upgrade training time uh, or decreasing the amount of time spent in upgrade training because uh, every opportunity to work is an educational opportunity or a training opportunity. So, you know, if if we really uh, focus on what's important, it checks a lot of boxes by implementing theory of constraints um, to really get after the entire uh, gambit of, of things that were we really don't have time for, you know, quote unquote, uh, in in the maintenance culture. I'm so fired up right now. Tim can make me run through a brick wall. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's interesting when we're talking about, you know, production methodologies and we, we talk about healthy airmen and healthy iron, right? And as a metals tech troop, I got a bone to pick whoever made up that saying because aircraft are not made out of iron, okay? They are made out of aluminum, a little bit of steel, some phenolic, right? But not iron. Like, okay, I'm just going to foot stomp that right now. Um, And when we balance these, right, like TOC makes that balancing act easier, right? It it makes that pendulum a, a little less variant. And when, you know, when we're talking about solutions based in a process that focus on aircraft production that make life easier that ultimately open up time for airmen and now that that white space if you will is opening up time for not just you know time with you know for the most important things in life like family um but it also gives some airmen an opportunity to uh to have time to to stop and to think about what they are doing and how they can come up with the solution um, to, you know, to innovate and to change. Maybe it's time to step into a spark cell, right? Maybe it's time to, um, you know, to do another type of team building event. Um, and, and I think there's so many different variable, well, not variables. Uh, there's so many uh, different avenues that, that we can take as leaders uh, in the maintenance community um, or just the overall logistics enterprise to, to capitalize on the successes here. Um, I hear far too often uh, from airmen in the field, like especially uh, when we were at AFA talking to our LNOs, like walking up into our booth, like, hey, we, we're getting a lot of pushback because, you know, from, uh, from, from, from leaders that they don't have time to send their airmen to a spark cell um, to, to work on a project that they want to work on, right? Um, and, and this is one of those mechanisms and one of those processes that we can leverage to, to open up that time. Uh, so we can really get after, uh, you know, accelerate change or lose, um, the operational imperatives even, um, and then, but most importantly in our world, getting after persistent mission generation, right. And, and, and how can we further, uh, equip our airmen to, you know, in that, uh, pr- uh, the priority of, you know, how do we create agile airmen? We do that deliberately. Through training, we do it deliberately through, um, you know, through opening up that time and space to train and to think differently. Um, so those are just, just Matt's thoughts on that. But uh, sorry if that little muse. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to add that we didn't cover already? 
uh, that, uh, you know, before we end our conversation here? No, uh, well, I guess I do. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the last thing I want to, uh, impart to, to listeners who have stuck around this long, um, is, uh, you know, for, for, for officers, senior NCOs, the vast majority of us that, uh, that serve in, um, in, in this capacity in, in aircraft maintenance or logistics readiness or civil engineering or, or you name it. Um, a good portion of us don't get paid uh, to do much with our hands. We There's not much we can do. Chief, you, you don't turn wrenches on an airplane anymore uh, and you haven't for quite some time. Um, uh, officers don't uh, make money by going and, and, and you know, performing tasks on an aircraft, um, and we never have. What we do get paid for, what we are charged to do, uh, is for what happens right between our ears, is to think. It is to think. If, if we, are, we are given anything, it is to solve problems with, with, without how we think. And for, for decades and decades, uh, our Air Force culture is uh, use the easy button uh, to solve problems. And that's off, uh, often off in the, often taking airmen's time, whether it's, uh, the most junior airmen, uh, to even fellow officers and senior NCOs, it's, it's taking time. But if we are going to make an impact, we're going to change somebody's life. If we're going to give the undeliver on, uh, the readiness that the air force needs, if we are going to impact an airman's life, at the squadron at the at, at on the flight line level it is through thinking through thinking about problems differently we have no other choice but to think differently um, we cannot stagnate we have to continue to think and solve our problems uh, because there is no checkbook there's nothing that's uh, there's 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 no checkbook that's gonna magically appear on somebody's desk and say hey uh, you can just write whatever it is you want and it's going to show up here uh, so we got to think differently yeah i just want to i guess impart some some leaving thoughts let's let's talk about um when when we're implementing something like theory of constraints when we're changing the culture um it seems it seems like a big ask but but the the process is, is pretty simple. It's it's reduction of multiple multitasking. Um, it's focusing on what is the most important at the time, and it's finishing that work. It's very simple in in in, in explanation. Um, when we're able to focus on what's really important, and when we're able to unlock the capacity and the full potential of our organization. We get the most increased throughput that we can, um, and that's that goes for any area of uh, of implementation. That makes the Air Force a more lethal force. That makes our ability to meet mission requirements um, that much more successful, and it really keeps us having that competitive edge on our our peer adversaries. So, um. If, if your organization or if you're thinking about implementing theory constraints or if you haven't already uh, gone down this path, uh, really consider it because this is this is the way to to get time back for your airmen, 
but still meet the mission requirements, thinking smarter, not harder, and, and really uh, giving yourself the opportunity for for those leaders, as you, as you mentioned, to actually solve problems and think through situations as opposed to fighting fires uh, every single day. So uh, take the leap, take the take the jump, and 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 let's try to uh, to change the Air Force for the better. Thank you again for listening to Tesseract Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseract.af.mil.